welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister, Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast. And today we are going to be covering the legendary, very special Eartha Kit. Emma, how are you today on this fine, fine late November evening? Oh my gosh, I am just so excited to talk about Eartha Kit. She's one of my favorites. And the reason we thought that this would be a perfect time to cover her is. You know, it's that time of year again where we can finally listen to holiday music, where we can all agree on listening to holiday music. Right. (laughs) And one of the most iconic songs of the season is Santa Baby, sung by Eartha Kitt. Who is this fabulous songstress behind this tune? Uh, We decided to take a closer look and shine the spotlight on her life because she is so incredible. She is a singer, actress, dancer, comedian, activist, author. She's just done so much. And I can't wait to open up the story of her life a little bit more and turn through the pages. Yeah. No, me too. Me too. I think that the thing that I was always the most familiar with from Eartha Kit, which <laughs> maybe if we have some younger listeners, they, uh, they'll feel this and resonate with it, but her being Yzma from The Emperor's New Groove, that of one course. always blows my mind. And the fact that she was just so, it, it was so much later in her career and in her life that she did that and accomplished so much. But even before that, you know, the decades that spanned between <laughs> her being in The Emperor's New Groove and when she was born in 1927, there's just storybooks on storybooks of tales and events that are just unbelievable that you would never guess. So yes, I think it's very deserved, very fun that we are giving Eartha the spotlight tonight. Yes. So here we go. Let's start with Ms. Eartha Kitt's childhood. So let me put in this little note before we start going. I have done a lot of research, and Eartha Kitt's childhood history seems to be dotted with some big question marks or confusion. It's a mystery. Uh, it's, it's honestly, there's a lot of mystery and intrigue to it, which yes. gives her even more kind of a... Um, it's kind of like a legend, like this mythic beginning. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a mythic beginning. <laughs> so I'll try to touch on it as we go along, but keep in mind if some of the dates don't add up. I'm going to try to list the discrepancies. So Eartha Kitt was born Eartha May Kitt on a cotton plantation in South Carolina on January 17, 1927. Her mother was Addie May Keith, who I believe was 16 at the time of giving birth. And she was of African and Cherokee descent, and she worked on this plantation. It is believed that Eartha Kitt's father, was the white son of the farmer who owned the plantation where she was born. 
and it is strongly believed that Eartha was conceived by rape. Then Eartha's mom moved in with a black man who rejected Eartha because of her mixed race background and lighter skin complexion. It's my understanding from the research that I did on her that in the area she lived, children of mixed race were kind of, there was a superstition around them that mixed race children would bring misfortune. She was given up for adoption at the age of five and taken in by a supposed relative called Aunt Rosa. And this household was extremely abusive to her, forcing her to pick cotton so she could earn her stay with them. The children in this family would beat her and whip her, and I'm sure there was emotional abuse included. Eartha very much attributed this abuse to her being of mixed race, saying that she felt rejected by both black and white people, not fitting into any group. If I could quickly interject into there, I think that a really, really cool movie that explores this that I've actually mentioned before on, I believe it was, what was the episode where we were covering? um, Black cinema history? Yeah, um, in our black cinema history episode. Or was it our black, one of our uh, spotlights on black cinema? Yes. I talk a little bit about Belle, a more contemporary movie, but basically explores that dynamic of being mixed and that was set in England. It's another period piece, but um, I think it's cool to see the um, that that just gives you a lot better of an idea of what it must have been like to be in those shoes. So, if anyone's curious, maybe to explore that dynamic a little bit further, I highly recommend giving Bell a look. Beautiful, beautiful movie too. Yes, it's a very real issue. It's one that I'm so glad that my biracial and multiracial friends and acquaintances have opened my eyes on and lived experience for them. So yeah, I absolutely can see where this was relevant to Eartha Kit. Okay, so that was a terrible... I mean, so far, we're off to a terrible start. This is really, really sad. And it's a little slightly unclear as to how she found her new home after this, but here we go. At the age of eight, I believe her mother, Annie Mae, died, mm-hmm. allegedly. Now, around this time, apparently a church group became aware of the abusive conditions in Eartha's adoptive home, and then they contacted a woman in New York. Eartha was then sent to live with this relative named Mammy Kit in Harlem, New York. Now, some people think that Mammy Kit is Eartha's biological aunt, and some people believe that she was even Eartha's biological mother. It's very mysterious, but they didn't have the most comfortable relationship. I believe Eartha said that this woman took her in out of Christian duty instead of the family connection. Right. Okay. So she grew up in Harlem during the 30s and 40s, which if you're unfamiliar... During the 1920s and 1930s, Central and West Harlem were home to the Harlem Renaissance, which was an explosion of intellectual work, artwork, and social movements in the Black community. Although the writers and musicians of this era are particularly well-known, there was also a thriving acting and theater community that developed in this area. Orson Welles, actually, who is white, produced his all-Black cast of Macbeth in Lafayette Theater in Harlem, 1936, but more on him later. Back to Eartha. You can imagine how growing up in Harlem 
would have been a really eye-opening experience and a really influential community. She learned how to play piano from a neighbor, and I believe she started practicing singing as well. However, life was not perfect. She worked in a sewing factory and would sometimes run away from her strict new home. Like I mentioned earlier, she and Mammy Kit didn't get along that well and didn't have the greatest relationship. Sometimes she would even buy a train ticket and sleep on the train, which is so sad. Another interesting tidbit is that she went to school at the Metropolitan Vocational High School, which is now known as the High School of Performing Arts, whose faculty and students inspired the premise of the 1980 film Fame. Dang, yeah. So what I thought was pretty interesting about this Metropolitan Vocational High School was that the first year that it was opened was actually 1947. So Eartha might have been part of the inaugural class Mm -hmm. or she might have been one of the first uh, attendees of this school. And she, I think, would have been 20 years old, which I, I think everything makes sense there. I mean, does that sound right? Or Again, I, I think that's right. I, there are a lot of, I don't want to say discrepancies, but kind of weird overlaps with dates and when right. things happen. So she, I, I think she did attend that school then after she did some other things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting. It, it would make sense. Yeah. And l- yeah, like you said, that there's a lot of overlap. Uh, a lot of question marks. She has a mysterious origin story for sure. And I think that it's it's pretty cool and interesting to think of maybe how the shift from South Carolina to New York and sort of the, the bigger city, I'm sure just kind of opened up her eyes and opened up a ton of new opportunities and possibilities sort of within her. So I'm sure that was very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this school, I mean, Eartha Kitt is super famous alum from there, but is also the um, alma mater of Liza Minnelli and I believe Jennifer Aniston. So cool place. So now (laughs) I have, again, heard various accounts as to what age she was when the following happened, but I've mostly read that it was in 1943, which would have made her 16. But presumably in 1943, she won a scholarship to study with the Catherine Dunham Company, which she later joined. The Catherine Dunham Company is considered the first Black American modern dance company comprising of dancers, singers, actors, and musicians. So super, super cool. She toured with this group for a few years and then ended up going solo and performed in Europe, most notably nightclubs in Paris, France. She became fluent in four languages, being English, French, German, and Dutch, and she sang reportedly in 11 languages. So crazy cool. While performing in Europe, Ms. Eartha Kitt caught the attention of a certain Mr. Orson Welles, as mentioned earlier who was so enamored with her performance abilities that he cast her in her first starring role as Helen of Troy in his production of Dr. Faustus. Orson Welles would go on to dub her as, quote, the most exciting woman in the world. That's From really Orson cool. Welles too, I think that's an exceptional title to have. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. As a 23-year-old too, when I guess their first meeting, which is just even more context. Right? Exactly. Like, oh, to be so worldly then. Now, many people have assumed 
Eartha Kitt and Orson Welles must have had an affair at some point, because surely if a man admires a woman's talent, it must mean he's sleeping with her. Of course. <laughs> Hopefully the sarcasm came through. Yeah. Now, <laughs> laying it on thick, everyone. <laughs> but let the record clearly state, in Eartha Kitt's own words, that she, quote, never had sex with Orson Welles. It was a working situation and nothing else. So, and that was there from a go. 2001 interview uh, with George Wayne of Vanity Fair magazine. So, yes, keep the, keep the receipts, y'all, <laughs> <laughs> in check. Now, there is another famously gossiped upon affair that Eartha Kitt does claim to have had, which is the threesome between her, James Dean, and Paul Newman. Wow. Now. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of question marks here. Did it happen or didn't it happen? Yeah. So here's a little context. Paul Newman knew James Dean. James Dean knew Eartha Kitt. James Dean actually asked for Eartha Kitt's help in learning how to move his body and have better control of his body for the stage. You've actually probably seen the famous photos of James Dean in dance class with Eartha Kitt at the Catherine Dunham studio. Again, just so cool to see black dancers during the 1950s. They're really cool pictures. Definitely Google James Dean dance class. They're awesome. Yeah. So I, I, be, I believe that this went down and how, how wild, how, how wild to say you had a threesome with James Dean and Paul Newman. What a, what a, yeah, that's uh, very exciting of her. I would say that adds to the uh, most exciting woman in the world award. Oh, definitely. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, back to her friendship with James Dean. All in all, they really did have such a strong connection and friendship. They had super similar backgrounds, originally being from more rural areas, having parental rejection, being sent to live with other relatives. It's actually crazy. I can totally see where they just clicked. Apparently, the last time she saw James Dean, she had a feeling that his spirit had already gone. Now, according to her, James Dean laughed this off and said that she must be on a voodoo trip or something, but he did die shortly after that moment or incident <laughs> event. And she stated when she got the news, she'd already known from that last moment they had together that he was gone or um. something was amiss. So really crazy. Uh, but back to her career. Eartha Kitt was such a versatile performer. It's truly amazing to look at her works that she's been involved in. She became a rising star after appearing in the Broadway review New Faces of 1952. This performance helped launch her career forward, and she released her first album, I believe, in 1953, and then re-released in 1954. And she had famous hits such as C'est si bon, I want to be evil, Under the Bridges of Paris, and of course, the beloved Santa Baby. Now, going into a little bit of the history of the song Santa Baby. It was written by Joan Jarvis and Philip Springer under the pseudonym Tony Springer. Eartha Kitt performed the song with Henri René and his orchestra. The song appeared on Kitt's self-titled first extended play slash album, and the writer Springer was initially not very happy with this song, but the masses would seem to disagree, and it has since become a holiday favorite through the decades. If you haven't heard it, which I'm 
We'd be shocked. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I want to know how. Uh, But if you are unaware of the song, it's about a woman who writes a list to Santa Claus of her wants, including very extra gifts, such as convertibles, yachts, and Tiffany's. Overall, it's a very cheeky, funny song delivered with a lot of sensuality. And the lyrics caused so much controversy that it was temporarily banned in the southern United States, which is wild. The issue being that the Santa in the song was in reference to a sugar daddy and it was gold digging and yada, yada, yada. Um, but of course, people get very curious about banned things, which makes them want to check it out even more, propelling it to become a hit. Whether you love it or hate it, there's no denying it was a success as proven by it landing on the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. Since it has come out, there have been numerous covers done by renowned divas, such as Madonna, Kylie Minogue, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Michael Buble. Uh, (laughs) I love how Michael Buble is the one that's just (laughs) thrown in there with all the other female (laughs) singers. And also the king of Christmas, Michael Buble. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah, so hopefully you get to check it out this year. What are your thoughts on Santa Baby, Jack? Oh, it's a classic. I mean, I think it's she has such an interesting voice to me. And so interesting. I, I think that there's such a strong connection between her and cats, ironically enough. And we'll get into this a little bit later <laughs> in the episode, I'm sure. But her voice, whether it's in Santa Baby or uh, I Want to Be Evil, you can really just tell that she has some sort of I don't even know what to call it. It's like a twist sort of that she does with her voice where it's like a vibrato that sounds, I don't don't know. know. Eerie. It's eerie. (laughs) It's eerie. It it could fit as well. Yeah. It could fit as well into some type of Halloween album. I would love to hear her sing. Like I don't know, kind of like scarier songs too. Cause I feel like she just killed that. But, uh, Santa baby also, I think is just one of the most, um, unique songs when it comes to the vocals that that are out there, just because it, it's a lot more slow. It does have that sort of sensuality that a lot of other Christmas songs might not have. So I think it's definitely up there as far as the most, um, <laughs> yeah, kind of, again, exciting songs <laughs> that you could listen to in this uh, holiday season. Absolutely. I love it. One of my favorites. I'm in the love category. Hopefully you are too. But apart from being a performer on the stage, she also acted in movies. She was in several films spanning between 1948 and 2007. Some noteworthy ones include The Mark of the Hawk from 1957, St. Louis Blues from 1958, and Anna Costa from 1958 as well. So a little bit more on these three films. In The Mark of the Hawk, she plays the intelligent spouse of Sidney Poitier's character who is an indigenous resistance leader in British colonial Africa. So very cool and kind of awesome that there was a movie about racial equality from a black protagonist that came out in the 50s. That's really awesome. St. Louis Blues, broadly based off of the life of W.C. Handy, also stars Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Pearl Bailey, Mahalia Jackson, Cab Calloway, uh, and Ruby Dee. If you love jazz, 
you would definitely recognize some of these names. If you're into the jazz genre, then you've definitely got to check out St. Louis Blues. Uh, you can definitely even watch some clips of this movie, I think, on YouTube and stuff. It's really fun to see her acting along these greats. And then there's Anna Lucasta. And this wasn't a super successful film when it came out. And, you know, she is the main character. A black woman's the main character. Eartha Kitt plays the title character. And it's about a girl whose family kicked her out of the house and she becomes a prostitute turning to sailors for her food and board. In the movie, her love interest is played by Sammy Davis Jr. Their characters try to be together, but Anna character's father tries to keep them apart. So really dynamic stuff. Like this is really cool, like content for the fifties, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely progressive, I would say. (laughs) You're absolutely right. She was super inspirational. Uh, Later on in life, she starred in other famous films, including the character Yzma in The Emperor's New Groove from 2000, which we mentioned. This is a criminally underrated animated Disney movie. If you haven't seen it, you must check it out. It is so good. Um, I don't want to like give a spoiler for Emperor's New Groove, but there is cat associations in the movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for her character. She also played Lady Eloise in the 1992 Eddie Murphy movie Boomerang. And she also played Madame Zeroni in the movie Holes from 2003. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, (laughs) again, what stands out to me from what you just said was the fact that that span from when she was what, maybe 30, mid, her mid-20s to when she was 73, 74, I think, when she did The Ember's New Groove. And um, something that we have been kind of tiptoeing around uh, that happened right in the middle of her career, the arguably the biggest connection that she has to <laughs> the, the feline animal, the cat, Emma, what is it? Yes, one of her most beloved acting roles isn't even from a movie. In 1967 through 1968, Eartha Kitt became the first black woman to portray Catwoman in the television show Batman. She took over for three episodes after Julie Newmar left the show. Her feline-esque movements and unique voice with the purring type quality were perfect for the role. Perfect for the role? Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> and, I had that note too, actually. <laughs> uh, she is one of my favorite Catwomans of all time. You've got to see these episodes. Like, she might be my favorite Catwoman. I don't know. I, I, I think love it's her. her. I think it doesn't get any more perfect from a, a casting standpoint um, <laughs> than her. I think that Eartha is a no brainer, number one, first round draft pick choice <laughs> as Catwoman. <laughs> Because yeah, like you said, her the movements I think from dance playing to the character so well, and her voice is just it's perfect. Like if you if you look <laughs> up a few of her live performances on YouTube, and you haven't seen her before, or maybe you're only familiar with her from Isma, you're gonna be like, you're gonna be blown away. Yeah. <laughs> also, along with the fact that she's sung that she sung Santa Baby and all these all these things, so definitely go check out the Batman series too, because one it's. It's amazing. Like we used to watch all the time when we were younger. All the time. All the time. Um, but yeah, she was the best Catwoman by far. Yeah. Um, I'm, I agree with you. I would love to see someone with Eartha Kitt-esque-ness qualities uh, play the next Catwoman. I think that'd be really cool. Zendaya? Um, it, <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, she's, she's kind of part of the Marvel universe. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know contract stuff. 
We'll see. We'll we'll see who it is. I think I have I have a couple people in mind. You we'll heard see. it here first. <laughs> podcast. Remember that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, she really dipped her toes into so many different areas. So really crazy, cool artistic career. Uh, a couple notes on her personal life. She was romantically involved with Charles Revson, who managed the beauty company Revlon. She married. John William McDonald. I think that I've seen him also been referred to as William, uh, an associate for a real estate investment company in 1960. They had one child together, a daughter named Kit McDonald in 1961. And I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures of Eartha Kit and her daughter Kit together, but they are adorable. Like <laughs> so cute. You can just tell that she loved her daughter Kit so much. They might be the cutest mother-daughter ever. I don't know. Just really adorable. Mm-hmm. However, Eartha Kitt and John William McDonald divorced in 1964 or 1965. Again, I saw conflicting accounts on the exact date. Yeah. I think that it's it's interesting to think about maybe the relationship that she wanted to have with Kit. I mean, oh, anything totally. that I say is pure speculation <laughs> at this point, but just to think about uh, her own upbringing and how hard it was for her. I'm sure that Eartha really wanted to, to be there for Kit. And just from hearing about how she would move from place to place to be closer to her and to also sort of be involved with her, I guess her activism mm-hmm. sort of uh, involvements, then that was something that I think really caught my eye. So you could tell that she definitely wanted to be a good mom, good parent. And I thought that that was something that was pretty notable. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's really cool. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Eartha Kitt was highly involved in activism. In 1966, she created the Kittsville Youth Foundation, a nonprofit organization for underprivileged youth in the Los Angeles area. She was also involved in a youth group called Rebels with a Cause, Interestingly enough, probably named for the James Dean movie, her friend. Yes, I was going to say. Which focused on creating safe recreation opportunities for inner city youth in the D.C. area and to prevent juvenile delinquency. She was also a member of the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom, and she was also supportive of same-sex marriage, and she was an ally for LGBT rights. So really awesome. Her outspokenness did unfortunately hurt her at one point. In 1968, Eartha Kitt was invited to a luncheon with First Lady Lady Bird Johnson, wife of Lyndon B. Johnson, in hopes of answering a question as to why there was so much juvenile delinquency in America and thoughts on the Vietnam War, to which Eartha Kitt attended and famously responded, you send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. The children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They are not hippies for no reason at all. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They are rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel they are going to raise sons. And I know what it's like. And you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children and send them to war, which is wow. Uh, So... Lady Bird Johnson started crying, and she and her husband were deeply offended by this statement. And this is just a life note. If you're not ready to accept feedback on a problem, don't open the window for it. 
asking for someone else's thoughts. Or if you could maybe sense that they're going to have some type of conflicting opinion, then one, yeah, even more so you have to be ready to accept whatever the response is going to be. Unsolicited feedback and criticism is one thing. Like, you know, it's okay if you're not ready for that and if you're not accepting to that. It's okay to not be ready for that. But to initiate an open dialogue and not get the answer you're looking for and then respond by taking it out and blaming the other person is so immature. Yeah. She was the one that asked the question. Right. And Eartha Kid just gave an answer, an honest one at that. And, and Lady Bird wouldn't have probably had such a strong reaction if there wasn't a kernel of truth hidden within what she said. So yeah. Johnson probably, I mean, both Johnsons probably <laughs> understood <laughs> Both Johnsons. Both Johnsons <laughs> probably understood that uh, Eartha was right, but it's it's also problematic at that point in time, especially sort of given the CIA's track record, <laughs> McCarthyism, well, and you know yeah. dangers of uh, I guess dissenting opinions when it comes to uh, questioning the president of the United States. So, well, but Eartha Kitt, you know, lives her life. She, she doesn't care who you are and she'll give you uh, a straight shot. And that's, I think, something that is very uh, admirable. When asked. When asked. When asked. Mind that. Because right. I think that that's important. Right. But because, unfortunately, because of this incident, Eartha Kitt's career took a huge blow. She was essentially blacklisted, having already been under surveillance by the CIA since 1956 for her social activism. The CIA ended up trying to put her in a bad light. Allegedly, at the request of President Johnson, the CIA compiled documents containing negative gossip about everything from Eartha Kitt's personality to her sex life, to which Eartha Kitt responded, what has that got to do with the CIA? Which is pretty cool. <laughs> this is why we shouldn't have a petty president in office. Like, exactly. just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So this caused her to focus more on performing abroad. And this setback lasted about 10 years, which is kind of like, wow, like, can you believe? I mean, I can. It's just crazy. Right. But then in 1978, Eartha Kitt was in a Broadway performance of Timbuktu with an exclamation point, which earned her a Tony nomination. And as a result of this prestige, as well as justice, she was invited to the White House by President Jimmy Carter to celebrate this. Her musical career revived in the 1980s, which led to more television and film appearances like the ones we mentioned earlier. All in all, she has been nominated for a Primetime Emmy for an appearance on the show I Spy, three Annie Awards for her work as Yzma on the TV show spinoff, The Emperor's New School, a nomination for an NAACP Image Award, Daytime Emmy Awards, Black Reel Awards, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960. That is like, yeah, that's really cool. And just from a cultural standpoint, so many of these films and songs are beloved. So yeah, you get the awards, but you get the lasting impact just on nostalgia, which is so cool. Sadly, Eartha Kitt died of colon cancer on Christmas Day in 2008, to which her daughter described that her mother screamed in resistance to death, not out of fear, but because she loved life and living so much and didn't want to leave it. It's just so touching. That is really powerful. 
all in all, Eartha Kitt is just an absolute icon and queen. She has inspired so many others, including Diana Ross and the Supremes. She was a sultry and sex-positive person, which was so rare to be portrayed by a black woman in her day and age as a young star. And she was just a star in so many ways. I'm just, I'm really glad that we took a closer look at her. And I'm just hoping that the next time you hear Santa Baby play on the radio this season, you'll be able to know more about the magnificent life of the voice that you hear. Definitely. Definitely. I think I I was going to say, I think that uh, what she said about the LGBT community and sort of the, um, the civil rights that they had challenged sort of within the nineties and throughout was pretty interesting how she was being interviewed by uh, Dr. Anthony Clare and her quote, we're all rejected people. We know what it is to be refused. We know what it is to be oppressed, depressed, and then accused. And I'm very much cognizant of that feeling. Nothing in the world is more painful than rejection. I'm a rejected person, oppressed person. And so I understand them as best as I can, even though I'm a heterosexual. I think that's a cool kind of point of view and something that you know I might not sort of resonate with from a race standpoint or gender standpoint, but I think that's something that you could try to empathize with. And it was cool to see Eartha Kitt say that and also be sort of a, an icon in the 80s for the uh, LGBT community with, you know, where's my man? I love men, the album. <laughs> and then just hearing about how she would go into these, uh, these nightclubs and then there would just be, you know, standing ovations and sold out shows. You know, you could just imagine how much fun that would have been. So exactly. Yeah. So very, uh, very iconic performer. I think you can't just say that she's a, an actress, a singer, a dancer, activist. I think, I mean, she, she lived a full life. And I think that that's really what uh, I can take away from it. I think that everyone can take away that. Also, it's never too late to kind of make your mark on the world. And she, she was in her 70s when she had some of her biggest awards and some of her most lasting uh, characters and moments and I guess the industry. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if you could, you know, say that the Emperor's New Groove is one of the <laughs> like, one of those things. But oh, um, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I, th- I think for how she was able to constantly reinvent herself for new generations of fans, I think that was something that I thought was really cool. So, um, yeah, that is true. She yeah. really grew with the times, and I mean, it's just amazing to see her be so outspoken in such a censored era. I mean, she really truly stood up for the Black Lives Matter movement even before that term was even coined. Right. It's just really cool to see that she brought such just such a liveliness into everything she did. I really admire her. I she's one of those on my list of like if you could have dinner with mm-hmm. anyone dead or alive, she would she would be so cool. Yeah. Her, <laughs> to, her, to her James Dean and uh wait, who is it? Who's the third Paul one? Paul Newman. Paul oh Newman. My, could you imagine? Maybe, maybe a little uh <laughs> cocktail <laughs> party with those four. <laughs> you can only imagine what would go down after. Oh my that, gosh, but, that would be the uh, party of my life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You know, once the uh, once the final curtain's called and we're all up in heaven, I think I want to <laughs> I want to go to that after party or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Eartha Kit, oh my goodness, I'm gonna be listening to Santa Baby all night after this. Uh, maybe while I eat some dinner, some yes. uh, some more work on the background. Yes, put have on some Santa Baby. Yes, have a little drink, toast to Eartha. 
it's you know they're not necessarily christmas movies but check out some of her movies because they're so cool they give such a great light to black voices yeah just just check out some of eartha kitt's work if you're unfamiliar because she is really unbelievable in all the best ways possible i adore her to death Mm -hmm. she's one of those people that the more uh, more research you do on her. And I think this is true for a lot of people, but especially her, uh, the more research into her background, the more interesting she becomes. And uh, some people, you know, they kind of plateau. I feel like she, there's always someone or something that you can kind of find. And so, uh, definitely, definitely iconic and such a fun actress person to give a spotlight to tonight. Yay. So thanks for celebrating Eartha Kit with us. We definitely have some more fun holiday festive episodes coming up. So stay tuned. Um, any other housekeeping? Uh, absolutely. Everything that you just said. Uh, if you guys <laughs> want to tell us about how much you love Eartha Kit, maybe your favorite song, maybe how much you love The Emperor's New Groove uh, or Holes, Madame Zeroni, let us know on Instagram, Old Soul Movie Podcast, Twitter, Old Soul Pod, Facebook, Old Soul Movie Podcast. And if you really, really, really love us and want to help support the cost of the show and help us continue and keep producing entertaining, <laughs> quality, informative content on the history of cinema in the golden age, then feel free to support us at the Old Soul Movie Podcast on Patreon. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And so uh, thanks again. As always, we love all of you guys. We hope that you had a great Thanksgiving that is rolling into a great, great festive uh, December safe. <laughs> yes, festive and safe December. I'm excited to celebrate virtually with our old soul family. So thank you guys for staying tuned to us and uh, there's more good stuff to come. Yep, absolutely. Toast to you all and a toast to Eartha Kit. Until next time, everybody. Take care.